What if someone had never seen any of the individual movies from the Marvel comic series, Iron Man, Captain America, all that, but, but they were going to watch the one that brought them all together, the, the very first Avengers movie, and, and they only had 60 seconds to prep to watch that Avengers movie. What, what would prep look like? Could look like this. Iron Man to Captain America, Marvel's extensive roster of superheroes have been getting the big screen treatment for years. But this summer, it's all about the Avengers. And if your comic book knowledge starts and stops with Garfield, we're here to get you up to speed in 60 seconds or less. So there's a super secret government agency called S.H.I.E.L.D. run by Agent Nick Fury. When Loki, the Norse god of mischief, starts well causing mischief, he recruits a supergroup to fight the foes no single superhero can withstand. He calls them the Avengers mostly because it sounds cool. Now over the years, the Avengers have gone through more members than Menudo, but right now we really only have to worry about seven of them. Iron Man, a.k.a. Tony Stark, billionaire arms dealer to his self-made justice bot, picks up most of the checks. Captain America, a.k.a. Steve Rogers, genetically modified World War II veteran. The Hulk, a.k.a. Bruce Banner, turns into a monster when he gets mad, frequently on probation on account of all the smashing. Thor, a.k.a. Thor, Norse god of thunder, sent by his dad's in a human body as a lesson in humility. Luckily, it's this body. Black Widow, a.k.a. Natasha Romanoff, a spy in a cat suit. Any questions? Hawkeye, a.k.a. Clint Barton, the world's greatest marksman. Totally has the hots for Natasha. Now, at the end of the Thor movie, Loki gets conveniently sucked into a black hole, but it turns out he's found his way to the other side of the galaxy and teamed up with an alien race to come back and take over Earth and gain control of the Cosmic Cube, an infinite energy source currently collecting dust in Nick Fury's cabinet of curiosities. So it's time for Nick to wrangle together his dysfunctional family of gods, monsters, and award-winning actors to protect Earth. And we think the odds are in their favor. Who cares if Loki's got an alien army? We've got Robert Downey Jr. I have successfully privatized world peace. Okay, by the way, I'm one of those that would need the, uh, the education. Um, but just a silly little illustration. But what if, what if you wanted an overview of the Bible in a very compressed time? Maybe you haven't read any of the 66 books of the Bible, or, or maybe you have read it through or read a little bit, but but you want a bird's eye view, uh, maybe a refresher or just never, uh, never read the Bible and you want, a, you want a bird's eye view of what the Bible is all about. Well, that's what this series is all about, through the Bible in seven weeks. And, and it may be a little classroomish at times, but, but that's kind of the point. By the end of these seven weeks, we'll have been introduced to the whole Bible along with the overarching message clearly seen throughout, beginning to end. This incredible book, authored by God, but written, God using three people to write uh, three different languages, uh, from 40 different authors, from three different continents, spanning about 2,000 years, and yet the central message comes through with perfect consistency regarding God's salvation plan for humanity. I mean, the, the way the Bible came together just defies um, natural explanation. If you're in a same-page focus small group, your study guide will track with the Sunday messages. Uh, it'll also give you, as has been referenced already, the five Bible passages to read each week. And so those of you that make, made that commitment, uh, way to go. Uh, and as Pastor Joel mentioned, if you don't have a Bible at the information kiosk at the back after, we've got a very nice Bible. If you don't have one or you, you don't have one that's in an, a language, a modern English that you can understand, we want, to, we want to give that to you this morning. The Bible. Best-selling book of all time. Most translated into almost 2,500 languages. 
Its message has changed individuals, has changed the eternity of millions and millions, and has influenced civilizations and changed cultures. And so, here we go. Let's start with the first section, which is called the Pentateuch. Penta. Five. Five books in one first section of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The very first words of the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible are, very first words, in the beginning, God. The, the author, the writer doesn't try to build a case for God's existence. He, he just says that he is and that he created everything. We see that he's a personal God, not some impersonal energy force. This God also has a very unique nature. And we get a glimpse of this in Genesis 1.26, where God says, catch this. He says, let us make man in our image. He's not talking to anybody outside himself. He's talking to himself, God. Let us make man in our image. Huh. Man created first and then woman a little later. Our, our human minds really cannot fully comprehend the nature of God, that He is triune. Uh, referred to, you may have heard the word, uh, Trinity. The Trinity. That, that word itself doesn't appear in the Bible. It's the theological term used uh, to describe His nature that is clearly seen in the Bible. That He is one God, three persons. Hmm. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Not, not three gods, one God, three persons. Three persons within the one Godhead is how it's said sometimes. Which is why in the New Testament we see Jesus referring often to God the Father. And yet many times as well referring to himself as God. What is that about? From a monotheistic one God um, religion of, of Judaism. Read, read the last several verses of John 8. If you don't think that Jesus claimed to be God, just, just read the last several verses of John chapter 8. And, and I think you'll, you'll be influenced to think differently. We, we see there that the Jewish leaders knew exactly what Jesus was claiming for himself, deity. And by their law, the blasphemy, it was blasphemy to do so, and they, they picked up stones to, to stone him. They knew what he was claiming. So, all of us, as we read that, we have a decision to make, whether to believe Jesus or not on this. And, and this is important because if He is God, our eternal gift of salvation is available to us. If He is not God, if Jesus is a created being, not pre-existence from eternity past, if He's not God, He cannot be the perfect sacrifice that our sin demands that God the Father required for sin. And, and, and billions have staked their eternity over the eons of time. And, and today, staked, I, I have staked my eternity. I'm one of them, as many of you are. You've staked your eternity on believing that Jesus is who he claimed to be. God come in human flesh to be the bridge for us to get back in relationship with our Creator. There's a rough illustration to help us with this three-in-one reality. Kind of challenging to wrap our head around. A, a rough illustration. The substance of H2O. Some of you have heard this. One substance, three 
three forms, a solid, liquid, gas. And it's not a perfect illustration because it's not just kind of three forms of God. It's three persons. And person isn't human. Person means emotion, intellect, will, right? Um, so don't get, don't get uh, sidetracked by that, that word person. So, but that could be a helpful illustration, H2O. One substance, liquid, solid, gas. Again, not a perfect illustration, but it may, it may help. And of course, with our, with our finite minds, we recognize that we, we can't fully comprehend or grasp this. But, but that's okay, because He's God and we're not. And it's, it, it, it's not a check your brains at the door thing either. If we could understand God fully, I don't think He'd be God anymore. And I'd rather serve a God who is way beyond me, even, uh, uh, even you know, beyond my ability to, to comprehend than one I could fully understand. Something cool about the triune nature of God tells us uh, that something that the, this nature, rather, that this triune nature of God tells us is that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are in community with one another. They are, they are in perfect love, displaying perfect, loving community. And therefore, we as human beings have this uh, desire for community stamped and, and desire for intimacy stamped on our hearts at creation. In the book, The Sacred Romance, the authors put it simply, we long for intimacy because we are made in the image of a perfect, uh, we are made in the image of perfect intimacy, rather. That's why God created Adam. He said, uh, or when, when God created Adam, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And not just because God knew that we needed help finding items in the fridge or whatever, but God had a good idea. He created woman and intended the relationship between man and woman to be a committed one, an intimate one. The Bible says that they became one flesh. The Bible says in, in Genesis 2, uh, it takes it a, a step further and, and just lays it out and says they, they were both naked and were not ashamed. Purity before sin, holiness, unity. Oneness, God's idea of the marriage relationship, committed, vulnerable, uh, safe, unified between a man and a woman, made different from each other, for sure, but made to complement one another. That's the marriage relationship as God intended and God designed it. And we see that from the very beginning, and we see Jesus affirm that in the, in the Gospels as well. So God creates this paradise, garden for Adam and Eve, and says it's good, it's good, it's all yours to enjoy, pleasure, fulfillment, uh, fun, adventure, safety, provision. I mean, ah, they, they had it going on by God's grace. It's awesome. God's saying all for you, all for you and your descendants, for generations, generations, to enjoy, to enjoy garden, to enjoy relationship with one another, and to enjoy rela unbroken relationship with me, your creator. How awesome is that? Now, God didn't want to force them into the relationship with him. Otherwise, we know then that it's not really a relationship, is it? It's forced. And that's where the tree comes in, this tree. One single tree. Genesis 2, 16, 17. They could eat of all the trees. And I'm sure there was plenty. And there was, there was fruit, vegetables. And just lit, but one tree. Of the tree, God called it 
of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And death primarily means separation. Separation from our Creator. And that meant stuff that was never intended by God's original creation. That meant physical decay. When you're separated from the giver of life, physical decay, which we see today. Sickness. Uh, Spiritual separation. Brokenness in relationship. And eternal separation. If that situation of, of separation is not addressed somehow, I will end up eternally separated from my Creator. I mean, this is, this is big stuff. Their choice, Adam and Eve's choice, brought to all of us what the Bible calls a sin nature that we are now all born with. You got an imperfection in a pa- on a piece of paper, you put it in a photocopy, or what comes out? Comes out. Kind of that way with sin nature. Their choice brought separation from God and caused absolute disruption of community in the human race that we see to this day. The, the pain, the, the, the world tragedies, the, the sicknesses, all of it a direct result of that original sinful choice that brought brokenness and separation from the giver of life. So God, what did he do? Did he walk away, turn his back, give up on human creation? No, no. In Genesis 12, we see that God calls a man named Abram through whom all the families of the earth will be blessed. Abram's name means exalted father. Well, God changed his name to Abraham. Not a big change, but a change. And and Abraham means father of many nations. In other words, through this new people, the Jewish nation, of which Abraham was the father, Jesus, the Savior of the world, would come. And his death and resurrection would pay for the penalty of sin, which God had declared already to be death. And he would bear it so that we could come back into relationship with God. This Jewish family that God established becomes the beginning of God's rescue plan for the whole world. Through you, many nations will be blessed, Abraham. Because through your descendants will come. The human Jesus, God in flesh. It's interesting. God's God's creative. Fast forward a little bit. Genesis 37. It's a turning point story here about a guy named Joseph, Abraham's great-grandson. And I know I'm talking fast. I need to. Joseph, son of Jacob, was ditched by his brothers. I mean, you've got to read the whole story if you've never read it. Genesis, first book of the Bible, chapters 37 and onward. Read it on your own time. His brothers were jealous of him, so they sold him to a traveling caravan of traders. I mean, just crazy to think about. It, it's I mean, selling, a, selling a sibling like that. Although any of you who've had a brother or sister who has excelled at something that you wanted to but didn't, I, I don't know, maybe it's factored in to, to your thinking, I'm not sure. Or, or you think that brother or that sister, they're the favored child. Boy, that can eat at you, huh? Right? Come on. Well... I have a sister who paved the way for me two years ahead of me in high school. A little goody-goody. Always got honors. But I would never sell her to slave traders. I, I don't think. Renee, if you're listening, I love you. So Joseph, he was sold as a slave in Egypt by these traders. But God was with him. 
And in that foreign land, Joseph rose. He rose to prominence. Again, a unique story that we don't have time to talk about, but he rose to second in position in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. Eventually, Joseph's family experienced famine, and so Joseph, in the position that God had him, could provide food and save his family. And not only that, invited his family to this land of plenty. And, and this, about 70 is the estimate of, of Joseph's, Joseph's family came into Egypt. But their numbers grew very quickly and significantly to the point where the Egyptians became afraid, and so they, they made the Jewish people slaves. Then comes one of the most famous periods of biblical history, the story of Moses, 10 plagues, Exodus, giving of the tw- 10 commandments, I almost said 12, but 10, uh, the parting of the Red Sea as Moses led the people of Israel, I mean, stuff that Hollywood noticed. God has a land that he has promised to give his chosen people, and, and chosen, why? Again, as the nation through whom God would send the Savior of the world. That's why he vehemently protected this nation and didn't want them to intermarry. God's not racist. He was protecting the purity of his people through whom the Savior of the world would come. And a lot of the wars in the Old Testament have to do with God preserving this nation because there was violent nations that would destroy these Jews if, if God wasn't in the picture. That's ugly sometimes. So the first five books of the Bible end with the law of God in hand, the promised land under their feet, and God's plan to call the world back to himself, rooted and ready to uh, expand. And so now let's look briefly at each of the books individually, beginning with Genesis, even though we've referenced it a fair bit already. And just to be clear, it has nothing to do with Phil Collins, okay? But Genesis. It's even a car, isn't it? Nice car. Genesis. The word means origin and, and tells of the beginning of the world, the human race, when sin came in, the beginning of the Jewish people, uh, and, and their role in God's big redemptive story. Genesis also raises questions about the creation event, doesn't it? Well, we don't have time except to point out that the Bible does not get specific about how God did it. Genesis just says he spoke it into existence, however that looked. But it was pretty amazing. He did it, and it was good. And we don't have time to drill down on this, but there's a book I recommended last Sunday that I would recommend again, The Problem of God by Pastor Mark Clark. Chapters 1 and 2 particularly would be helpful in this discussion. Problem of Science and the Problem of God's Existence. Um, the Problem of God is the, book, is the book title. And if you have genuine questions, which you probably do, all of us do if we're honest, if you have genuine questions and you're seeking and you're trying to figure out, I'm sure you'll read a book like that. If you have genuine questions, I encourage you to do that. Um, there's a key verse in Genesis, an important phrase in Genesis 3. God is speaking to Satan, and he says, he uh, will strike your head. He there, a reference to Jesus. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Huh. Well, this is a prophetic verse. Um, a, a, a verse speaking of the future coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, into the world as a man. God, again, as we said, in human flesh. And yes, Satan will strike his heel in his crucifixion. But Jesus Christ 
will bring the final and crushing blow to the enemy of our souls through his sacrificial death and resurrection, conquering death, conquering hell, conquering Satan for all eternity. Isn't it interesting? Just three chapters in to the Bible. What we as Christians are so grateful for, the death and resurrection of Christ, there's a reference. Unique, isn't it? Satan wants to destroy, wants to pull us away right from the very beginning from our God. And yeah, Satan might strike your heel a little bit, <laughs> but he's going to be crushed by what Jesus did. And he has been. And he has been. That's cool. Second book of the Pentateuch, Exodus. It's action-packed, plagues, miracles, deliverance. Again, Hollywood capitalized. The word Exodus means departure. Departure. You know why? It's the story of God rescuing His people as He brought them out of Egypt. God's big redemptive story in the Bible is vividly seen in this book as well. One of your small group reading passages is out of uh, uh, Exodus chapter 12 about the Passover. Some might ask, well, what's, what's Passover? I've heard that word. I know it's a feast and what have you. And, well, here's a quick Passover trailer. Verbal trailer. God's chosen people, the Jews, enslaved by the, by the Egyptians. God called Moses to lead them, the Jewish people, to freedom. Uh, with the help of some God, delivered plagues because, because Egypt did not, the leaders in Egypt did not want to let their Jewish slaves go. But, but it was crucial that the Israelites be set free so that God could lead them to where he wanted to establish them as a nation. In, again, in what? In preparation for Jesus coming into the world as Savior to rescue all of us from our sin. God didn't enjoy sending those plagues. As a matter of fact, I believe it grieved his heart because he loves all people. But the Egyptians were hard-hearted and would not release God's people. And God wanted freedom for them. The tenth plague was the worst. God sent an angel to kill. And he said what he was going to do. And he made a way out, as he always does. But, but God sent an angel to kill the firstborn in each household in Egypt. But in his mercy, he also, as I said, provided a way out. And God said that if, you, if, they, would, if they would sacrifice a perfect lamb and spread the blood on the doorposts of their house, the death angel would pass over, key word, would pass over them. And, and, and again, this, is, this, this final and tragic plague, um, it's tough for us to get our minds around this. It, it, part of it is because we, we do not really fully comprehend the holiness of God. And that, again, is, a, is another discussion, another part of this discussion. But this final and tragic plague finally caused the Egyptians to, to let their Jewish slaves go. It was a great day for the Israelites. Freedom. Of course, the story goes that they changed their mind, chased them down. Anyway, that's no time to get into that, but you can, you can uh, talk about that or read that on your own. But, but to this day, the Jews... All over the world celebrate the Passover uh, feast as a celebration of their freedom that came to them on, on, that, on that day at that time because of the, the blood of the lamb uh, that, was, that was put on the door to, to represent uh, the, the, the house that, that belonged to God. A few thousand years later, Jesus ate the Passover meal. 
right? In the New Testament, we see that. Before his sacrificial death on the cross, Jesus became our Passover lamb because his death paid the penalty for our sin and everyone who applies, metaphorically speaking, applies the blood of Jesus Christ to our hearts and lives will receive the gift of freedom to live with God, of freedom from bondage and slavery to sin, of freedom of forgiveness for all that we've done powerful. Ever since his death and resurrection, Christians have celebrated the meal of remembrance, as it's called, for what Jesus did for them, for us. I want to comment briefly on the Old Testament uh, system of sacrifice for sin, the blood of a perfect animal that would be shed to do what? To cover the sin of the people. And again, this seems strange to us, even cruel to us, but, but God wanted people uh, to see how terrible and serious their sin was. Judgment for sin requires the shedding of blood. The Bible clearly says that. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin, it says in the New Testament, in Hebrews. Death was the, death was the pre-expressed penalty for sin. And, and that Old Testament, the, the temporary uh, sacrificial system was in place as God prepared for His perfect Lamb, capital L, Jesus Christ, to come into the world. Again, who would die in our place to be our once-for-all sacrifice, to, rem- to, to remove sin completely, not just cover it for a time. Big difference. Awesome difference. Beautiful difference freeing difference if we've given our lives to Christ and trusted Him as the forgiver of our sin. See, sin could only be addressed by perfection, so by God. That's why it's important that Jesus is God, theologically, biblically. If He's not, we do not have a Savior because He's not perfect if He's not God. Again, the big story of the Bible, Jesus coming to the earth as the eternal Savior who completely, he completely fulfilled the requirements of God's judgment for sin. Genesis 2.17 again, if you sin, death will be the result. There it is. He died so we wouldn't have to. It's beautiful. Everything that the Jewish Passover meal looked forward to was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the central character of God's big redemptive story. And a real simple, basic definition of the word redemptive is just making something beautiful of something terrible. God's big redemptive story. Now, Leviticus called this because it's about the Levites who were the tribe of Israel who were the priests and they served in the tabernacle and the tabernacle was the temporary uh, place of worship for the Israelites during their years of wandering around in the, in the desert on their, on their long way home. I think that it's them that Supertramp sang about. <laughs> Help me out. Take the long way home. Forget it. I know, it's old music. Gen Zers are going, what, super who? What superhero? What? Ah, uh, sick. I'm going to move on right now. In Leviticus, we see humans worshiping God. And they were given patterns. They were given an outline. They, 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 they are worshiping God as, as a community with, with a strong theme of holiness. And that's the character of God. 
holiness. Means, means to be set apart. It's not, it's not something weird. Holiness is integrity, character, grace, loving, perfectly just. Things we want. And yet in our minds, I think the connotation of the word holiness kind of weirds us out. No, no. Holiness of God. And it's what He wants to work in our character on the other side of coming to know Him personally. See, we don't have to work all that character up and get it just down pat before He'll accept us. No, He accepts us as we are. And, and then, yeah, and, and then we've got some growth. We want to represent Christ well and we want our character to develop to become more like Jesus and all of that. Did you see the difference? Holiness of God. God, work your character in me is a simple prayer in, in, in line with what it means to be holy. A common question from this book is how much of the Levitical code still applies today? Well, quick answer. In Leviticus, there's a, there's a teaching segment on ritual uncleanness and a teaching segment on clear immoral behavior. One is time-bound and was later fulfilled in Christ and thus came to an end. Uh, in other words, the things, you know, what we could and could not eat, what, what we could and could not uh, touch, what we could and could not wear, all, all, all those types of things, no longer relevant, no longer applicable in the New Testament because of what Jesus has done. The other body of teaching is, is, is timeless, really, clear moral teaching like the Ten Commandments. And yet, and yet, even there, the Ten Commandments are fulfilled in Christ. And, and he spoke this out of his great commandment, as it's called, to love God and love people well. And as we do that, as his followers, if we do that well, we, we, are, we are living, we will live out the Ten Commandments, but from a new and, and better motivation of love. God gave the law to set a standard, as we said, of holiness. And at the same time, to show us that we could never meet that standard on our own. That would be pretty, you know, feeling pretty hopeless if it wasn't for Jesus. Jesus came and fulfilled all of the righteous requirements of the law and then took our punishment for violating that law. And Paul makes it clear in Galatians 2 where he says that we are not put into right relationship with God because of the fact that we are observing the law enough. No, no, that's done. But because of our faith in Jesus Christ that he took care of all that in his character and his perfect holiness. And then that is applied. And I'm, it's as if I'm covered in that. It's awesome. So, book of Numbers, moving on. It contains numerous census lists, but it's also about the wanderings of the Israelites in, uh, again, in the, in the wilderness for 40 years on their way to entering the land that God had promised to give them and to establish them. It, 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 and it wasn't God's fault that they, uh, you know, that, that, that they uh, took so long to settle in that promised land. You know, they're the ones that didn't trust Him when they got to the edge of it, right? If you know the story and if you don't, re read it. Um, they didn't trust Him enough to take, that, that, that they could take the land. And so God let them wander around for a long time before they got a second chance. And part of the reason for that delay was the, just a, a direct result of their ongoing murmuring and, and, and rebellion, discontent in the, in the wilderness. And not, not, not because God was messing with them or toying with them, 
No. But they learned lessons during that time, just like, just like we experience and need uh, from time to time. It's not, it's not usually fun at the time, but can't we often look back on situations where we feel like we were just in pause mode or want this wandering mode, or, uh, and, and we can look back and often with thanks and appreciation for if our hearts, uh, you know, lean into God and not, not toward bitterness. That's key. But we can often look back with thanksgiving and, and appreciation for, for what we learned in that season. I've, I've heard that from so many people over the years. And it's, it's, it's a credit to their attitude, not, notwithstanding the challenge of it sometimes, right? In Numbers, a couple of key characters are Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb were the only two spies, as, as they're called, uh, of 12 spies that Israel sent into this promised land. Uh, they were the only two that came back with a positive report to say, yeah, God can help us uh, claim this land. There's, there's big people there. There's strong people. But we can enter that land. We can take it. We can. The other 10, no, no, shouldn't, shouldn't go there. <laughs> Again, in a real nutshell here, but their faith, Caleb and Joshua's faith, because of their faith, they were, they were the only two men of their generation who entered the promised land. And, and then Joshua became Moses' successor. So, numbers. Now, De Deuteronomy. Final book of this first section of the Bible. Uh, this, this book contains Moses' farewell address before his death and, and the passing of the leadership baton to Joshua. And Moses, there's three elements, three aspects of his um, his farewell address, as, as we've called it. First of all, there's a look back. A look back. Moses reminds the people of where God has brought them from. And, and many of us do that. And it's, it's, it's good to do that once in a while, to reflect back on how God has led, on, on how we've seen His hand work. And in, sometimes in the moment of our challenging life, we, we forget, yes, God has proven Himself faithful time and time again if, if we've walked with Christ for a long time. You, you know this. It's a good thing to do. That's what Moses did. The second thing Moses did is, is, is he, he looked up. He wanted to direct the, the people's attention. He, he, he set forward the law of God, looking up to God and his, his expectations of them. Simply and clearly, Moses was hoping that people, after he was gone, that the people of Israel would, would continue to follow God's way and his path into the, the land he had promised them. And then finally, Moses looked ahead. Reminding them of the consequences of disobedience and how, how faithfulness to God was so vital for, for, for God's best to be brought about in their future. Another thing that's very interesting about Deuteronomy was that it was the primary book of the Old Testament that Jesus quoted from. When we talk about uh, loving God, when Jesus responded to the question, what's the greatest commandment, the great commandment, right? Jesus quoted from, from Deuteronomy when, when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, with everything that's in you. He's quoting Deuteronomy. Uh, when Jesus faced Satan's temptation in the wilderness, God allowed him to go through that. He, he faced Satan. And, and what book did he quote from? All three times. It's awesome. He defeats Satan every time of the three temptations with God's words from Deuteronomy. He loved that book, apparently. It's cool. So, there you have it, the Pentateuch, 
First five books of the Bible. Genesis, the beginnings of everything, including the beginning of the Jewish family, through whom would come the one who would uh, address the tragic consequence of sin that came into the lives, into our lives back in the garden. Exodus is the organization of the Jewish nation and giving of God's law to live by. Then there's Leviticus, tells us the way that people were to worship God. Then there's Numbers, the story of God's provision and protection during the wanderings of Israel in the wilderness. And then Deuteronomy, the final preparation for entering the promised land. If you want those nutshell statements because you're taking notes, I'll, I, I can give you those. Just email, and I'll send, email me and I'll send them to you. So five action-packed books that set the foundation for what? For God's big redemptive story of grace that is continuing through the scripture and to today. So many of us in this room have been the recipients and are daily the recipients of God's grace. And you may not say that you're a Christ follower, but, but I believe that you're the recipient in ways that maybe you don't even recognize yet. The recipient of God's grace in your life. This morning, I would encourage you to open your heart to Him and to His grace. If you're not a Christ follower, you you need to know that that God wants you as a part of His eternal family. He, He wants you in His family for eternity so much that He sent Jesus, His Son. And Jesus came willingly to step in and take the hit. Death, paying the penalty for sin, but not staying there, being too powerful to stay dead, rose from the dead, to show that he could bring us uh, uh, um, eternal life, to show that he could defeat the the, the impact of sin and Satan in our lives. And so we surrender and we say, Jesus, yes, be my Savior, be my Lord, be be the forgiver of my sin, be the leader of my life. You love me most and know me best. Why wouldn't I give you the reins of my life? And maybe today, is a day for you that you want to do that. Maybe you've never done that before. Or maybe you knew Christ and you walked with Him at one time, but you wandered far from Him. This morning is your morning. It's the opportunity to say, God, I want to know you. I want to live with you. I want to receive your gift of grace and your forgiveness. So I'm going to ask everybody just in these moments uh, to bow your heads, close your eyes. So many Christians in this room, I'm asking you to pray right now because there might be some that are in just a a real crucial time of decision-making in their life. And it's an Awesome opportunity for you this morning to say, I want to know Christ. I want to walk with Christ. I want to give Him my life. And so if you do, I want you just to raise your hand to me. And, and it's not about me seeing it. But I, I just want to allow you this opportunity. It's, it's kind of a, a sealing the desire in your heart. And Romans 10, 9, and 10 talks about believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. And that's important. But right now, I want to pray for you in this moment of decision. If you want to receive Christ, I just want you to Raise your hand and look my way. Thank you. Awesome. God knows your heart, young man. Anybody else? Anybody else in these important moments? Father, I thank you. And in this room, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. We thank you that when things went sideways way back in Genesis in the garden as we read about, that it didn't catch you by surprise. You knew 
what you wanted, and that was you wanted this relationship with us. And you were willing to go to great lengths to provide that opportunity for us to come back to you. And we just thank you. And as a church family, we thank you for this young man who is just expressing this desire to walk with you and to know you. We pray, oh God, for him that you would work in his life. And may he confess you and believe in his heart and with his mouth confess you as his Savior and Lord and forgiver and leader. We thank you for this, Jesus. May we go this week and share this good news message with those that you bring across our path each day. In Jesus' name, amen.